Welcome back, everybody. This is an exciting day. I am so glad to be back. And, uh, well, I appreciate it. Amen. I'm not going to spend uh, a lot of time on that 28-day sabbatical that just concluded midweek of this past week. But uh, a couple uh, things I want to do. I want to say a big thank you to our board, our board of deacons. There's seven men that are rock solid, and they gave me the thumbs up to do that because I lean on them and I trust their judgment. And uh, we had, seven's a perfect number, right? We had seven different speakers fill in in my absence, all out of the body of this church. Isn't that amazing? And uh, great thanks to Josh Ellen and uh, Nora Leah, um, Paul Burdine, Dennis Johnson, Shane Jones, uh, Shelby Piercy, and Brad Gilliard. Thanks to all of them. Let's give them appreciation. All right. Now, um, on the final day of our sabbatical, which was Tuesday, July 31, uh, Brenda flew out to Colorado to be with Kelly for her 38th birthday, which was Friday. So she wanted me to be sure to tell everybody that she booked that trip long before I ever thought about a sabbatical. <laughs> so she just wanted to make sure that nobody took it that she didn't want to be back, okay? She said, it's my fault that she's missing five Sundays in a row. But... Um, we, we had a great time away. Like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. You might have noticed a little bit of change in my appearance. Um, <clears throat> I want you to, to know the late breaking news on this is, is now I am a distinguished-looking person. <laughs> According to my little wife, who we just celebrated 46 years of marriage this month, this past month, <laughs> July the 8th. As I told some other people, I'm keeping the extra facial hair because Brenda does not throw out random shallow compliments. When she says something, and when she said, you look distinguished, I said, excuse me, what did you just say? Uh, let me get my phone. Let me record this. Uh, I'm going to, you owe me that, you know. But um, she would love to be here right now. She's got a, a granddaughter and a grandson that's wearing her out. Um, well, I'm going to share a message this morning. It's got an unusual title. You've probably never heard a sermon with this particular uh, title. It's called Dear Theopolis. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to this guy. I did a little random uh, Q&A out in the foyer before Sunday school with different ones. And I gave them um, like Tychicus, Trophimus, and Theopolis. And um, I says, do you know anything about those three? And, uh, and uh, I said, what do you think the most pivotal strategic person out of those three? All three of them are named in the book of Acts, by the way. And they all have a part in that narrative. And uh, so there was one person who says, I think, I think that was uh, someone that in the early ver words of the, of the gospel of Luke that that was written to him. And I said, well, you're exactly right. I wish I had a prize to give him. But I want to turn to the first words of Luke's gospel, and you might can see it on the uh, screen as well. And we're going to introduce this person 
Theophilus to you. The word actually means, it's a Greek word meaning lover of God. Theos, God. Phileos, meaning to love as a family type love. To love God. Well, Luke 1.1 begins this way. <clears throat> Many have undertaken to draw an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about others have written gospels. Just as they were hands and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself... Well, don't, this is great stuff right here. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Sounds like a doctor, someone who's into specifics, right? I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent, there he is, Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, if you drop down to Acts, I'm going to read it out of a, a, a different, it's not the translation, it's a paraphrase, it's the message. And uh, the message starts this way, Dear Theophilus, so that's where I got the title. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume, referring back to the Gospel of Luke, in the first volume of this book, I wrote everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. Now think about this. Outside of Timothy, Titus, Philemon, there's not many books in the New Testament that were directed to an individual, let alone two major books. One of the four counts of the gospel of Jesus, the life of Jesus, is written to this man. Now, it turned out to be part of the canon of Scripture, the inspired Word of God. But Luke wasn't done there just to give him earlier this recollection and this investigative and all of the things he studied and put together under the leading of the Holy Spirit, the gospel according to Luke. He also wrote to him a second time of the events around the early church. Now, why is this guy so strategic? Who is this guy, Theophilus? Now, if you've got, if you're the one that kind of researches everything on the internet, you can try to find out something about this guy, but there's nothing out there. There's nothing about church history. There's nobody else that talks about him. But here he is in a major way, strategically placed to inspire and motivate, to help motivate Luke to write everything that you have in front of you in the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. I want you to suppose with me this morning, just imagine how your New Testament would look without the book of Acts. Would you do something with me this morning? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the last chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 21. So turn there. And it's going to be a little bit more difficult if you're following on a smartphone because you're going to have to kind of like jump around a little bit. So you, are you there at the last chapter of John's gospel? Okay. Now I want you to hold that and turn over to the first chapter of Romans. Now we're, we're going to help, help you this morning if you don't have it in front of you. But we're going to read... 
as the Bible would read without the book of Acts. If the book of Acts was not in your New Testament, this is how it would read. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Think about how much we would be without if you just take the book of Acts away. In fact, if you read all of the gospels and you practically can memorize them and know all the people involved and you know the 12 original apostles and one of them betrayed Jesus and they're down to 11 and you begin to read Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, we would probably say, who is he? Where did he come from? And when if you read the epistles, there's just some things that wouldn't make sense. If you went over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul is telling the people that he had visited back in Thessalonica, he says, you know, you remember how badly I was treated at Philippi. We would stop this and say, I wonder what happened at Philippi. We would not have his arrest along with Silas, them being beaten up, them praising the Lord in the middle of the night and the jail broke open by an earthquake. None of those things would be a context. We would read things like that and says, well, wonder what happened there. So thanks to Luke's friend, Theophilus, we have the Gospel of Luke and we have the book of Acts. One of the most important books in the entire New Testament there is not another way to describe the book of Acts other than it's the bridge between the four Gospels and the rest of the Bible, the 22 other books in the New Testament. I'm going to ask you some questions today, probably several questions. I remember sitting um, on our sofa during this, uh, I, I tell you, for lack of a better word, um, my mornings was completely, completely committed to the Lord. And it didn't matter. I didn't put a time frame on it, even though Brenda had a list of stuff for me to do around the house. And she almost turned into a military inspector. You know, it's like she would come and start inspecting what I was doing. I painted some things, and there's this little spot like this down on the bottom of the railing on our porch. And she said, um... Are you, are you going to do a second cut on this? I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I said, oh, I didn't know I was going to have a military inspection. I would have been a little bit more careful. I'm so sorry. No, we, we, had, we had a great time. I just told her I was going to inspect her stuff afterwards. So was like, but I would come to her, and one time I sat down with her after just some of this time with the Lord, and I said, you know, do you, think, do you think that the book of Acts was just written for us to have information? This is just to let us know what happened and how it happened. And it's not really have to do anything about what we're doing today. All of the things that was prophetically revealed in that book, that, do you think that's just for our information, that, that, that we're not expected to have those things happen today? And those are the kind of questions I'm posing before you when you... When you open this book, this incredible strategically placed 
contribution to the New Testament that Luke wrote to Theophilus. Is that what it's for? Is it just the bridge between the Gospels and the epistles? Or is it something, something like a template, something that was given to us to let us know that the church, no matter if it's 2,000 years later, should have something going on inside of it, should have some presence of God, some prophetic anointing of the Lord, powerful things to happen. I really believe that Acts, even though it was closed after the last chapter, is not to be closed in its experience. That it is a continuation of things that God wants to do in his church. I wrote this down because I, I, I journaled every morning, and I'm just journaling away. We have to be convinced before we are convicted. We have to be convinced of something being truthful before it impacts our lives in a convicting way. Right? And we can only repent, thoroughly repent, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're comfortable where we're at. But if we could be convinced by the Spirit of God that the truth that we read is not something in historical matters in the early years, but it's supposed to be part of our lives today, we can become convicted and repent, not necessarily of the things that we have done that we don't like that we did it, and repent of our sins, but repent that we're not where we want to be and where we need to be. And we repent that, that there's something missing. There's something missing in us. There's something missing in the modernized Christianity that we have in our world today. I was sitting with my brother for breakfast. I met with him twice. There's a halfway point between here and Harpersville. It's a Waffle House. I know that shocks you. It's a Waffle House at the Helena exit on 459, and we, we're becoming kind of well-known there. But I was sitting there, and I was talking to him, and I said, what would, what would happen if we'd all get so serious about the kingdom of God that it consumes us? And I said, you know, I think probably the greatest place that, that Christianity is being practiced where it's supposed to be practiced is in China where those pastors, when they're arrested, it's an honor. <laughs> hey, I'm going to prison again. This is like the fifth time they've arrested me for having a house church. How much is God blessing me? <laughs> That's the way they look. They, they have this infusion of God in their lives and they're practicing their faith in the, in the shadow of a government that doesn't want them to. And they'll move in and they'll arrest them out of their house churches and send them to prison. It is an honor. And they, you know what they do? They start witnessing to other prisoners. They still have church. Not because there's a chaplain or there's people coming to have church. They, and, and they just, that's why they send them back. <laughs> like they get tired of what they're doing in prison. But this is Christianity, I think, as it's supposed to be practiced. So I'm asking you this morning, I hope, that something out of the pages of Acts will convince you and that you would move, that we would all move out of this as just historical data. This is just how it happened into like desiring, Lord, I want that in me. I want the movement of the Holy Spirit in me. 
and that we can live out the truth, live out the truth, the infusion of the Holy Spirit, empowered to do things outside of ourselves in fulfilling the Great Commission. And from what I understand, and I've listened to every one of the messages that was preached by the seven people, at least twice, at least twice. And I went back and listened to some of them, just parts of them. I kind of got enough acquainted with them. I want to hear that part again. And, and, and I don't know if you realize it, there is on, on our site, there's podcasts. And you can listen to the podcast. And I don't listen to myself because I don't like the sound of my own voice being recorded. And I have, I have listened to myself, and I've crit- I'm bad to critique it. So I just like, don't do that. Don't, don't, it's out there. Let people critique it, but don't, don't go there. But I want to tell you something. They were all over the Great Commission. Every, somewhere, every one of them talked about that the time of the moving of the Holy Spirit is right now. It's time for the church to move with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's time for us to get serious about the Great Commission. So here is Luke writing, Dear Theophilus, since I've written to you a much research review of the times of Jesus already in the first book, here it is. This is my second book to write to you. And I want you to do something with me. I want you to just kind of turn to Acts chapter 1. We're not going to read the whole thing. I I will tell you, I have been captured by this book over the last four weeks. And I've been amazed at things I haven't seen. Things that just jumped out to me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find it. And between your index finger and your thumb... Look how the book of Acts. This is the book of Acts. You know what this covers? This covers 30 years of the church. This right here covers 30 years of the church. Now, if you took this out and wrote a book this size, it probably would not be bought by many people. Because it would be so thin... And what is it? Why am I saying this? Why I want you to do this? 30 years of ministry from Acts 13 through the rest of the book, all about Paul's ministry, covers about 13 or 14 years of his ministry. In that short span of time, that's all that Luke has to write about it. And it's almost like what John said at the end of his gospel. You know, what you're reading in a, is a microscopic sampling of what Jesus did and said. If I tried to do everything, write it down like an exhaustive review of Jesus' ministry, there's not enough books for me to put it in. And when you, and what does that mean for us? Why should we think something about that? It's because everything that Jesus did and said that's recorded in this is highly selective for you to have. We ought to hang on every word. We ought to hang on every parable. You know what bothers me about thinking about that? Because you guys did a study on parables. Is that all those parables we don't have. All those stories that stumped people. All of them that convicted people. All the miracles he did. So how should we treat the gospel of John? Has God selected special things for you to know about Jesus? 
out of all the things that he did. And what is Acts? It's the same thing. There's a lot that Luke didn't include, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But all of those pages right there covers 30 years of church history. We ought to hang on to every word. We ought to embrace every word about the Acts of the Apostle. And that's, that's the next thing I'm going to touch on is the title of this book. It's called The Acts of the Apostle. I have two Bibles. I have all kinds of Bibles. This is called the Marked Reference Bible. And as you can see, it is not in good shape. But this is a treasure to me. When uh, I left to go to Bible college in 1970, I figured this up in my mathematical mind. My dad was 52. And so one of the things he said, he said, um, and, 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 and I transferred from Jacksonville State University after my freshman year to Bible college and, and the tuition. I, I've got somewhere in my stuff that my tuition and my dorm and my meal ticket at Jacksonville State for one semester was $490. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at people and says, oh, the student loan wouldn't be so much then. My dad paid for everything. He did, well, he didn't pay for everything. He said, I'll pay for your school and I'll pay for your food. But if you want to have extra, you'll have to earn it during the summer and save up for it and have your own spending money. So when I decided to go to Bible college, it was like way more expensive. And so I didn't know what he was going to say. And he was elated when I told him. I felt like that God was speaking to me and that, you know, I didn't say I was called into the ministry because it scared the daylights out of me to say that. I says, I think the Lord wants me to go to Bible college. And he says, great. So he handed me this Bible, and he said, uh, I want to give this to you. He was 52, and he said, because the print is too small. Guess what? The print is too small for me now. <laughs> but this, is, this was an amazing Bible, and I just wore it out, really wore it out, because it's got such neat things. I want to show you how Luke starts out of this Bible. So the graphic should be up there. Yes, it is an aged Bible. And what you see, uh, there's green and there's blue. This is the second column. This marked reference Bible, it's it shaded everything pertaining to the Holy Spirit in green. Everything related to the Holy Spirit is in green. Everything prophetic is in blue. Everything about salvation is in red. And everything that they talked about temporal blessings, that blessings were attached to it, is, is kind of like a beige, a, a, like a light bronze. So when you go through Acts, you see a lot of green. You see green everywhere. You go to Romans and you hardly ever see green until you get to Romans chapter 8. And then you see green. And so it was kind of like this was such a neat book. But you see the title, The Acts of the Apostles. This is, this is I told people, I have one of Brenda's Bibles with me. Someone says, why do you have to sit with me? So I got it. It was given to her for her birthday in November of 2006. I want to show you how Acts is titled in this Bible. That'll pop up. Okay. 
Not Acts of the Apostles, Acts. Now, at the start of your Bible, which one does it say? What, what title is in your Bible? Acts of the Apostles. Acts. Anybody else, your, your Bible, what does it say? Acts, just Acts by itself. You see, the title was not given to it by Luke. It was just written out. Luke didn't title it. Luke didn't say anything about himself. This is, it's almost like John writing the Gospel of John. John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He was just too humble to say his name. But he, he referred to the one that Jesus loved. It's kind of like, okay, I, I get a little feel of humility, but there might be a little pride there too. Like, I'm the one. I was his favorite. I got to sit next to him. I'm not going to tell you my name because I'm humble about it. I don't know what his motivation, but Luke, Luke says nothing about himself. He doesn't give his name in either one. These are major books, and he doesn't even include his, who he is at the start. We know it through the witness of other church leaders that he wrote it, but he didn't identify himself, Luke, to my most excellent Theophilus. So what is inspired? Which one of the titles of this book is better? Neither one. But let's just stop right here and say, let's take the Acts of the Apostles. You want to take that one? You prefer that one? I mean, it's, we're not voting on it. I mean, it's just like, yeah. All right, tell me which apostles does this book record the Acts of? Which one does it record the Acts of? Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul. Now, all 11, the rest of the 11 are named in chapter 1 when he begins to talk about how many he's gathered in the upper room and he names all of the 11 apostles and then they replace Judas with Matthias. So, they're named. Peter and John goes to the temple in chapter 2 or chapter 3 and the crippled man is healed. Peter and John kind of dominate. Peter is obviously the leader. He leads the, the church, first church business meeting when they elect Judas's replacement. But in chapter 3 and 4, it's, it's Peter and John that's caught up in this drama of the crippled man being healed, and they're brought in, they're interrogated. John doesn't say anything. John's just with him. Peter talks about it, and, he, and he's, he's obviously the one leading. He's the one that confronts Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, and, and they have to do something for the widows who are not being taken. And Peter is arrested. And by the way, John's brother James is in there. His acts of that apostle is in there, isn't it? What, what did he do? He got killed. He got executed by Herod. Nothing is said about what he, anything he did, any kind of ministry. He was arrested. He was one of the top three of Jesus' disciples. He was that inner circle. Isn't it interesting that Herod went after that inner circle? Herod went after, got James, executed him, and it made the enemies of the church so happy, he arrested who did he arrest? Peter. He's going after the top three. I don't think it was an accident that he went after the top three. These were the men identified as the ringleaders. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, God has a way of stepping in and rescuing someone, and uh, he didn't rescue James. 
He didn't rescue James. James is like, hey, this is why, why don't you just let like uh, Thomas get killed? <laughs> I think if the disciples vote, it says we vote for Thomas to be killed. <laughs> because he's the one that just wouldn't agree that you were raised from the dead. But the Lord allows one of the main men that he invested himself in, took him into places to see healing. And we don't know a thing that James did. The Acts of the Apostle. James is the one that's mentioned as being killed. And Peter's in prison in chapter 12. He's delivered. And get this. From 13 on, Peter is nowhere to be found. It's Paul. It's that persecutor of the church. It's that one divinely saved on the road to Damascus. And we don't even know what happened in the first 10 years of his life after he became a believer. He's somewhere in Tarsus. He's, you know, whatever God's doing in his life. I'm, I'm telling you this so that you can understand that Luke didn't approach writing this as an exhaustive thing. And so the Acts of the Apostle, that title really doesn't fit, does it? So we're going to make a point of discussion here. What does Acts include and what does it not include? I want to tell you something. I hope over the next several weeks, and by the way, just get used to the book of Acts, okay? We're, we're going to be in it for a little while. I hope that it becomes like a treasure to you. Not just to read, but when you read, it says, Lord, I want that. I want you working in my life that way. So if we take Acts of the Apostle, what apostles are we privy to see? It's just Peter and this late arriving apostle that he even identified himself as one born out of sequence. One born out of the schedule. I came along late by divine appointment by the Lord. This man, formerly the persecutor of the church, is prominent. And undoubtedly, Luke and the Holy Spirit felt like we didn't need to know what the others were doing. Even though we know, I mentioned Thomas, even though we know for certain from historical records that Thomas ended up going all the way to southern India and establishing the first Christian community in India among the Hindus and was martyred by Hindu priests. Horrific death. So all of these men did things. It's not like what they did was not important. It just shows you why this book was crafted. It was crafted so that we could have what we have here. We're not even sure about Luke. We know he's a doctor. But other than that... And we only know that because Paul mentions Luke the physician, that he's, va he's a valued partner in Luke's team, in Paul's team. So we don't even know where, where did Luke come from. We do know this. Those who have studied the original Greek writing of, of Luke and the apostles, the Acts, will tell you that his Greek is refined. It's highly educated. He's peculiar in his vocabulary, his style. It's absolutely certain that he wrote both of them. I want to take you to the last words of Acts 28, the end of the book. Now, don't get excited. This doesn't mean I'm at the end of the message. So I still have like a full page to go. In Acts 28, this is, this is how Luke finishes this record. For two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ 
with all boldness and without hindrance, and that's how it stops. That's how it ends. Nothing else. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's given a lot of privileges, and you see that, and welcomed all who came to see him. He had such favor early on in his imprisonment in Rome that they allowed him to have any visitors. He would, I'm sorry that the movie that came out about the Apostle Paul is not accurate. It's, it's nice for a drama, but that's not... He wasn't down in a dungeon. He had, Luke did visit him. We know that Luke visited him. Luke came to him in those imprisonments. Luke was with him in so many occasions. And we'll get some detail in the book in the coming weeks. But what I want to convey to you and impress upon you and even beg of you is treat this book as a rare, priceless addition to the Bible that you're reading. That when you read it, you're reading highly selective material that God wants you to know. Not just random stuff. This is highly selective. And think about this. In Acts, we have no history of the church in Jerusalem after Peter's deliverance from jail. Even though there was a church in Jerusalem, a significant church in Jerusalem under the direction of the apostles. Just no record of it in Luke. We have no information how the gospel reached Rome. All we know that it reached Rome and Paul wrote to Rome telling them, the church at Rome, that he was hoping to see them at some time. He had prayed and asked God that he might go all the way to Spain. And on the way to Spain, he says, I want to stop in Rome. Rome was a destination Paul prophetically felt that he was supposed to go there. He never made it to Spain, but he did make it to Rome kind of not like probably what we would have thought he would have made it. The Roman Department of, of Corrections financed his journey to Rome. But think about it. Rome was over a million people at that time. It was the largest known city in the world. Rome was considered the center of civilization. It, its power had reached almost all the way to England and also to, to the east of the, the Holy Land. Rome was a mighty power. Northern Africa was under and the gospel got there, and a Christian community was founded in Rome of all places. We know, we know nothing about who went there, who was the first preacher there. We have to lean on church history for some of this information or church traditions. Who knows what other apostles did during their lifetime? But Acts does not give us any indication. Even the things, you know, Paul wrote in these epistles that he was like shipwrecked numerous times. Well, there's only one time that we find that he was shipwrecked in Acts. And he said he was beaten several times, scourging. Uh, we do know in Acts that he was stoned and thought, they thought he had killed him. They dragged him out of the town and they left him for dead. And all of a sudden he jumped up and it was okay. But when you read all the things that he endured, Acts only records a minuscule portion of that, probably a tenth of the things that he said that happened to him, Luke doesn't include that. But what Luke does, he, he focuses on certain things, starting in chapter 13, going through his journeys, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to include what's in front of you that you have in your Bible right now. That makes it priceless. So what do we do 
with the book of Acts? How do we apply it to our lives? With all the smartphones, smart wristwatches now, I even heard they've come up with a, a smart wristwatch that is recharged by one's body temperature. It's not made by Apple, so nobody's going to buy it. Uh, we even have earbuds now. We have wireless stuff. We have Alexa. We have, um, we have people now that will shop for people. That's cool. We have, we have now where people can shop online for their groceries and drive to the grocery store and somebody comes out and loads their groceries for them. And all moms with small children said, Hallelujah. I don't know what happened to the behavior of children, but my mother could take us to the grocery store and she never had to get on to us. Put that down. Don't pick that up. Though we're not going to get that. But I, I'm just saying that's the way we were raised. Like, come on, put that down. <laughs> but it, it, what is all that for? What is that for? It tells us all these things that are technical and the new stuff tells you it saves you what? Time. We have all these time-saving things. Can I ask you a very personal question? Save your time for what? We're probably the most biblical, illiterate generation in the last hundred years. When John Adams was living, his son, John Quincy, knew probably Latin, Greek, maybe Hebrew. And as a teenager, he knew Russian to the point that as a teenager... They took him to Russia to see the czar as an interpreter to, to beg them for some money for the revolution. Here's Abigail and John Adams sending their teenage kid to Russia as the interpreter. And like, we, we're having trouble with English. <laughs> you know, what are we saving the time for? What is this supposed to, how is this supposed to enhance our lives? All the things that's supposed to save us time. How does it save us time? I'll conclude this morning about some dynamics that absolutely took over my mornings. And if the praise team can come up, we'll finish this up. Here's some things I learned. Some, you know, Josh Ellen asked me over lunch, says, what, what did you come away from four weeks of a sabbatical? I'll share a couple of things that I shared with him. Everything my soul, my spirit longs for pours into me through communion with Jesus. Communion with Jesus is where everything happens. Not memorizing scripture, not being more biblically knowledge, and that sounds like I'm kind of you know, counteracting what I said. All of the Bible knowledge, Bible knowledge without love can be a disaster because then we use it as a club on people. But when Bible knowledge tells you the enormity that's available to you out of Jesus and that you can have a, 
every day, morning through afternoon through evening, relationship with him. You can commune with him. You can worship him. You can ex experience him in a totally different dynamic way. Everything flows out of communion with the Lord. My communion with the Lord was not for sermons. It was not for me to know more, to journal stuff. And it was not for me to put on social media. I got delivered from social media. I wasn't on Facebook at all for four weeks. No Twitter. That was a bigger challenge for me than Facebook. Because I love Twitter. I love to read articles off of Twitter. And Instagram is kind of like this. But I didn't do any of it. And I find myself, it doesn't matter to me anymore. And when you read things, it's almost like you want to share it with someone else. But sometimes is it possible that our sharing that is to let people know what we're doing. And that we are reading the Bible and we're not a pagan. We're a good spiritual person. We're doing what we're supposed to. And I was there, man. This guy nailed me. Cameron McAllister nailed me on some podcasts I was listening to. I listened to so many sermons. Every person, here's the other thing, communion with Jesus, and here's the other thing. Every person, and I'm telling you, God just wrecked me. Just wrecked me. I started telling Brenda, I said, you know, Every person has value and purpose. Every person is created in the image of God. Every person, God's eyes are on them. And he wants them to know him. And then when the old Charles would pop up and I start saying something about something that aggravated me, Brenda would say, well, Charles, they have meaning and purpose and value. I said, well, thank you very much for reminding me of that. And I would say sometimes, and they need to repent of their sins. <laughs> but it just kind of captured me. And if that last slide is up, I, I, wanna, I want you to see this. It requires something of us. If we know this, that every person has value and purpose. My mother, I grew up in a little town called Harpersville. Highway 280. You have to go through there. And even if you went through there, you still might not remember it. Unless you got pulled over by the police because that's how they get their Christmas bonuses in Harpersville. It is, it is a speed trap. Even, even the government had to come down on, on them because they love ticketing people. So I knew it. I'd break. They, they were over that little viaduct. They were just, they were sneaky. Sneaky. That's how they made their Christmas bonus. I, I said that. I don't know if that's true. I grew up in a little town in Harpersville, and it was two lanes back then. And how many remember when an ambulance looked like a hearse with lights on it? It was kind of like, I don't think I'd want that kind of ambulance coming to check on me. <laughs> in an accident, it's like they already prepared to load me up. It, they did look like a hearse with lights on it. But when one comes screaming down 280, and we live right on 280, I remember 
my mother without an exception would begin to pray and say, Lord, wherever that ambulance is going and whoever they're going to attend to, may you rescue them. May you spare them of death. And if they don't know you, Lord, may they come to know you before they take their last breath. And she would be in this deep intercession and we would just kind of stop and, and wait for her to finish praying. And, and then she would go on about what she's doing. She valued people. She valued people she would never meet. She was one of the most remarkable people. She saw people through the eyes of Jesus. And many times she would tell us when she saw somebody and their life was so wrecked and so broken. And she would say, kids, they just need Jesus. She wouldn't criticize them, deplore their behavior or their appearance. She says, all they need is Jesus. And she would take meals up to the Tarwater family, eight kids in that family. The dad was disabled, and, and I went with her on some of those kids. We didn't have a whole lot, but she would take food to them and pray with them. And what would happen? What would happen if we all had a baptism of that? That everybody we saw had value. God loves them and wants to do something in their life and maybe we can just be one of those little voices along the way to remind them what would happen I tell you what would happen the book of Acts would break out the book of Acts would break out in our lives so what would you want to say to the Lord this morning I'm determined that I'll get to where my mother was an example and he prompts me by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone and when I hear a siren when I know somebody's in trouble when I hear a report would you stand with me what would you want to say to the Lord this morning I want to invite you to this altar this morning to say whatever is in your heart to him. Lord, I pray this morning that we would respond not to the voice of a preacher, but we would respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You want to prompt us. You want to touch us. You want to change us. And I thank you for the radical change that you're doing in me. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would continue to exponentially change who I am into more and more of your image. Those in this room that are ready to step into a radically changed life, would you call them this morning to come before you and lay it all on the line and say, I'm, I'm all in, Lord, whatever you want from me. I surrender my life to you. Come as we worship.